This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well and I hope you've been enjoying the recent episodes that have come your way thick and fast whilst the World Cup has been on. Uh, I must admit they have been hard work to turn around in, in a quick time scale, but without blowing my own trumpet too hard, I don't think they've come out too badly, have they? Uh, but I, what I must say is thank you to all the people that have helped me along the way with them, the guests. I know that their time is precious. Uh, so thank you to those guys. If you want to go back, listen again. Of course you can at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. Now, on to this episode. As we inch ever closer to Christmas... And you may be struggling to come up with ideas as to what to get as presents for your nearest and dearest. Or indeed, what should go on your own Christmas list. I think the next three quarters of an hour or so may help you on that. Horace Mann, he was an American educational reformer in the 1800s, once said, A house without a book is like a room without windows couldn't agree more. Let me take you back to January of 2019 and episode 42 of a Three Lions podcast. I sat down with a guy called Simon Shakeshaft. I've always known as Shakey. He mentioned the possibility of an England shirt book. Take a listen to this. If we can take it back to the beginning of the conversation and remind ourselves of the the Arsenal shirt and the Tottenham shirt how could you elaborate on that if you could <laughs> off the back of the the production of these books as as we talked about earlier there are other books going to come and at this current time the three authors of the Tottenham of the Spurs shirt book Neville Evans Darren Burney and myself are in discussion with the publishers and to work with the FA on a collaboration to produce an England shirt book. Wow. And we're hoping that that will be rubber stamped by the FA in the very, very near future. So the production of the book will be hopefully um, in the shops at the end of this year. If not, it'll be hopefully ready for the Euros. Of course, if you can qualify. He <laughs> um, <laughs> says through gritted teeth as a Welshman. <laughs> Don't England always have easy grit? Wow, well, that is the way. Yes. That's, well, that is fabulous news that there is the possibility of something very similar to the Arsenal and the Tottenham book. And to see them all in their glory on mannequins in glossy colour with additional details of how it all came around. Well, obviously, the person I'd just like to say that the person obviously put, putting the foundations in place now for the book, because obviously the FA are keen to do this, and we want to work with them to be done. Glenn Easywood from England Football Online, yeah, he's a very much a stat man. He's, a, he's an author himself. He's written two books on Wembley, you know, FA Cup finals and the history, the, the statistics from Wembley Stadium records. Glenn's going to come on and work with me on, on writing the England shirt book. Now, it took a little longer than anticipated, but what's the saying? The best things come to those that wait. And I've got a copy of the book here with me. But that episode, if you haven't heard it, it was episode 42, and it's all about England shirts. One where I got to hold an England match-worn shirt from the 2018 World Cup, and also a Bobby Moore red away shirt from... I think it was something like 1967 time. Now, football shirts are becoming increasingly popular in the last 
10 or so years, I guess, especially for collectors. But with that has come various books of people sharing their collections. And I should know, I've got many of them. But the Three Lions on a Shirt book is a marvellous coffee table publication. It's been put together by three football shirt enthusiasts, Darren Burney, Neville Evans uh, and Simon Shakeshaft, as we just heard from their shaky. It is available through Vision Sports Publishing website, Waterstones, Amazon, all good bookshops, as the saying goes. And here, joining me to tell us all about it from Vision Sports is Jim Druitt. Hello, Jim. Hi, Russell. You well? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. You are from, from Vision Sports, the publishers. What's, what's your official title there? Uh, so I'm the editorial director of Vision Sports Publishing, but um, we're a very small company. So effectively, I am pretty hands-on on most of our projects. So on this book, I was the editor. So just um, it was my job to bring everyone together. So you've got uh, three authors who you've you've mentioned already. So Darren Burney and Neville Evans are huge collectors of England well, all football shirts, but their their England collections are unsurpassed. And Simon uh, Shaky, as you've you've already mentioned, is the he's a collector as well, but really he is just the sort of guru on this subject. Um, and he has just this rich, deep knowledge of all football shirts, particularly the England shirt. So I will do my best to represent his his knowledge on your on your esteemed podcast oh it's very kind and considering he's a welshman as well he he knows a lot about england football shirts Uh, absolutely i mean he is just the ultimate football shirt enthusiast and and the detail that he he has uh is just unbelievable i mean when we first started putting this book together five years ago at least we started making a list of what we'd need. And I said, right, okay, 82 World Cup. So we need a red Admiral shirt and a white Admiral shirt. And he's like, ah, no, no, no. (laughs) Do you do realise that in every single game of the 82 World Cup, a different variation of that classic Admiral shirt was worn? Um, And then he starts talking about these great stories about the the ladies at Admiral sewing on badges at the airport, trying to get, shirts out for the next game so you know that's the that's the level of detail that that is in the book and that that primarily comes from shaky yeah well it all comes through there's a famous picture i think of that 1982 team and it it may have been when we're where they were lining up against France for the France game. And you yeah. cast your eye across the team and the badges and the Admiral logos, they're all at different heights where, as you say, have been sewn on last minute. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean that was basically because they played the first game against, I think it was, I think it's actually the third game that that, that, that is most noticeable um, right. against Kuwait. I think it was. Okay. Yes. Basically the, the they, they wore these, um, they wore the red shirt in the first match against France in, um, I think it was in Seville, but it was 30 degree heat. And they were these sort of classic polyester shirts and the players were so hot. You know, they sent this emergency message back to Admiral that they needed some shirts made out of a different material so they hastily produced these sort of airtex style shirts and and that you know literally old little, little old ladies in leicester <laughs> up all night making this kit especially um and hand sewing on the badges at the last minute at the airport so yeah i think um i think the individual concern might have been a bit tired by the end and uh <laughs> some of the logos are not exactly uh in line that's what keeps them all unique exactly well and that also helps the collectors authenticate the shirt so absolutely will actually check the you know they'll look and see if an admiral logo is a a slight funny angle that helps them say yes that is the exact shirt that was worn (laughs) in that exact game amazing stuff well let's go back to the let's go back right to the very beginning and it's obviously very early on in the book england famously played their first ever game against scotland in 1872 it was up in scotland um it's a uh, 
a game that I've covered on this podcast where I, I went up to the ground. I even spoke with a relative of the England captain of that day, Cuthbert Ottaway. But I also went to the, the National Football Museum in Manchester, of which there is a shirt from that particular game. It's, it's the the one shirt that is known to still survive. And it's yeah. in a frame. It's got low lighting at the museum. It's behind, I don't know, bulletproof glass or something. And you've managed to be able to to take the shirt out, I imagine, with like white gloves and and photograph it for this book and and explain more about it how did all that come about well that i mean that was you're exactly right the the um it's at the national football museum they were fantastic in their support of the book so we weren't allowed to touch it but they had a member of staff as you say with the white gloves who allowed us to take it out of the cabinet take it into a studio and um and photograph it yeah and it's just such an incredible thing the you know the fact that a i mean we call it it's more of a jersey as you know Mm. than a a shirt it's a woolly a woolly jumper but the fact that that has survived from the very first football international is you know it's astonishing um and it's just it's just an incredible thing you're literally in the presence of history and you know it's it's just uh it's that's what i think these shirts do they they allow you to sort of get close to touch history yeah it's i'm looking at a picture of it now it's worn by arnold kirky smith um and this is it's a woolen jersey all the the three lions are there all stitched into the to the jumper um yeah. and and the thing with these early shirts that they were sort of jumpers woolen um and they must have been so itchy and so heavy when it rained yeah it's amazing isn't it to think you play football in that and also there you know it's believed that you know that at this stage the no you know these the players weren't probably provided with their own shirt so he would have been told to bring along a white shirt or a white jumper given some instructions probably to of what the badge should look like and you know for all we know his mum embroidered the badge you know if you look at the early photos of England shirts, the badges are all different because different people have been embroidering them or making the badges. So, and also the fact is that he, we know it's from that game because he, that was the only game he ever played for England. So it's a sort of um, authenticator's dream. Yeah. Uh, Whoever stitched it has done a a fabulous job. Um, They'd probably get a job these days as well. It's it's so, so detailed. They would have got a a good job with Admiral in the 80s. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many shirts within the book we could we could talk about and cover, but we're going to sort of just pick a few here and there as a almost a little teaser for for listeners that they can go out and and explore more into it. But there's a couple of great stories in there where obviously some of these older shirts are so much or so hard to come about. They're probably left in lofts or passed on to various family members and whatnot it's just tracing it all down but there was one where i read that a one of them had been put on a a pile to go to a jumble sale um and whoever was going to take it to a jumble sale sort of decided no that's it's too good to go to a jumble sale and it got kept fortunately and i think this is from the 1900s and uh and is still around to to this day now and that's sort of thing that happened back then wasn't it yeah absolutely i mean that's this is the oldest shirt in the book so it was it was worn um believed to have been worn by a guy called bobby evans um in against wales in 1911 the shirt belonged to a welsh player called ted vizard so the assumption is that, I mean, usually in those days, players would swap with their opposing player. So we've kind of worked out that Ted Vizard's opposing player was was Bobby Evans. So it, it went into Ted Vizard's family. And 60 years later, his wife in the 70s was having a clear out and she gave this old shirt, which is, you know, a musty old dress shirt, you know, huge, great thing. Um, she gave it to her cleaner to take towards a jumble sale. Unfortunately for England 
um, football shirt history, uh, the cleaner thought, hold on a minute, you know, this is actually something worth holding on to. So she kept it. And when she died, she left it to her sons. So it survived. It's, uh, it's amazing sort of piece of history that has managed to say survive and and shirts you say they were dress shirts then they were yeah. ones that you'd sort of put over your over your head and, and slip on they just had like three or four buttons down the front of them like as if you could open them it'd be like a massive v-neck um and it just again they had the uh the crest stitched into them but they had cuffs on the on the yeah. sleeves as well i mean they were they were they were essentially you know everyday shirts at the beginning um they weren't produced by umbro or buckter or or companies whose, whose names we associate with football kit they were hope brothers and st blaze and uh kinch and lat which were basically outfitters and badges the badges were sewn on and and interestingly the um the badge was considered more valuable than the shirt in those early days so uh, although a lot of the early shirts have survived um because from very early on, England players were were generally given their shirts after they'd played. But a lot of players removed the badges and kept the badges and they were considered the kind of the souvenir and the valuable item. And, um, you know, the shirts were just thrown away. In fact, Tom Finney famously um, took all the badges off a load of shirts and gave the shirts away to a local Sunday league team in Preston. Oh, right. So... so you would have had at some point in the late fifties or sixties a Sunday league team in Preston all running around in um, Tom Finney's ex England kit, which must have been a sight to see because they were probably all number seven. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, great stuff. Well, just whilst we're talking of of badges and and the famous three lions crest yeah. nowadays, um, and we're talking this especially whilst the the World Cup is taking place, every shirt has the the match details on it yeah it'll it'll tell you the day it'll tell you the the opponent and and the tournament but that's it's nothing new really because we sort of fast forward to the 1950s and back then they were put in the the season be it 1950 51 and underneath it it would say sort of versus yugoslavia or, or someone like that so it's it's not a new thing putting match details on shirts, is it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that that was a sort of um, a period of about ten years when when that happened, um, and it it was um, as you say, the there was a sort of very lovely scroll with the opponent and and the season um, below it, which which was quite unusual, I think, in international football. But it was only that for that period of 10 years. Umbro then resurrected it when they did the Taylor by Umbro. Oh, yes. If you remember in 2009, they sort of replicated that style. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a nice touch. Yeah. We're going to go backwards and forwards, I think, where in this chat with so many different sure. things to talk about. Um, but there's one um, shirt that, that I came across, and, and I always knew that England first played in as an away color blue before they played in red and and i think people often forget this and when a new shirt comes out and it may not be a red away shirt and they say oh we should always have red as our away shirt and and obviously we know that's probably because of the uh the 66 win which of course we'll, we'll touch on um but the first away shirt was worn in 1935 um, against Germany, it was actually played at home. But there's there's a picture of that in the book, and it's it's such a deep blue. Yeah, it's it's an amazing amazing shirt. It was worn by um, Stanley Matthews at against Germany, played at White Hart Lane. Quite a famous match because it was um, obviously uh, Hitler was in power in Germany. Mm. There was a lot of um, you know, concern about uh, what was going on. The um, they actually flew a swastika flag at White Hart Lane, which is unbelievable if you yeah. if you really deconstruct that. And there are famous photos of the German fans um, and players doing the Nazi salute. 
but it was actually this was England's 200th international and it was the yeah. first time they ever played in any color other than white um and yeah it's this it's this beautiful quite dark blue dress shirt with a white collar white cuffs and a white badge um made by St Blaise and uh yeah I remember when we were doing the photo shoot literally p- people's jaws dropped when when we when we had it out and you know it's just uh it's just a magnificent thing so who is that part of the the Stanley Matthews family's collection is that one um do you know that's a good question I'm not exactly sure how you know quite often I, I believe that that was from the the Matthews family um I don't think it was one that was swapped quite often shirts come into the sort of collector's market from a player that they've that the player swapped with if you just yeah. see what I mean so a German player might sell a shirt that they've swapped I believe this was uh does originate from the sort of Matthews family so it's, apparently it's a... he had a terrible game as well <laughs> well I don't think he had many of those no, I don't think so. I think actually, yes, he's saying about that in the um, in the the write up on the the other side of the page. It does say that he, as he walked away from the game, in amongst like a lot of the supporters, the supporters were saying that he had a uh, a poor game, and and that sort of knocked his confidence. Yeah, from... reduced the tears by their critical comments. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, he he recovered okay. He done all right, didn't he? On on this particular page it shows the um the manufacturer and you've mentioned a few at the moment like St Blaise and and Bukta um before we get to sort of the nowadays of Nike and, and Umbro before that England have had quite a few of these manufacturers and and I know yourselves Vision Sports have done uh other football shirt books notably like the Arsenal one and there's a Tottenham Hotspur one as well and and these sort of manufacturers names are sort of crop up quite often don't they yeah i mean um st blaze i mean i I think by this stage you had traditional um outfitters and and sort of dress shirt companies making sports specific shirts where they were just really the same kind of design and cut as everyday shirts but perhaps slightly lighter and you know in available in in the sort of colors that you wouldn't wear to work mm. for instance so yeah the but these are you know they are tailored you know companies um hope brothers is a very interesting one where that was a i think they were um set up after the war and they employed you know they were in a village and they employed a huge number of people in this village and I think they were, so, they, you know, they carried on in operation until I think they were sold to Burberry in the late okay. 90s. So, but yeah, they're, they're sort of famous names if you delve into the sort of world of uh, these sort of um, shirt manufacturers um, back in these times. Yeah, that's some, some really interesting names and, and that sort of thing there. There was, uh, no, I can't, I haven't made a note of which shirt this particularly was now, but I am. Um, I saw there was one shirt where England on occasions would have to change the colour of their socks if they were facing an opponent with obviously the same colour socks. But England would change or the colour of their socks, whatever they wore, would then be the same as the number on their back. So if they wore, for example, red socks, the number on their back would be red or it would be blue, number would be blue, which I'd never even noticed or yeah, knew it's before it's, it's brilliant attention to detail isn't it i mean for this is you're talking around the sort of late 40s and 50s and it just shows the that the attention to detail in kit was was thought about even then so a lot of the games were played against the likes of ireland and scotland who wore uh, either very dark blue or black socks and it was just usually the, the the first choice. Uh, my understanding is the first choice um, color of socks was black, and and a black number would be put on the shirt when they were wearing black socks. But as you say, when they deemed that the close the sock color was too similar, um, they wore red socks instead and and wore a red number. Yeah, 
this uh, which you you know never really kind of because all the photos from that time are black and white you never really get that get a feeling for that until you then see hold on a minute we've got a sh- two shirts from the same season one's got a black number and one's got a red number what's that all about and yeah. then uh, you know that's where shaky comes in he's done all this research and analysis of black and white photography to work out you know from from the from the black and white photography whether the the color is actually red or black yeah uh, this is the sort of detail this this book holds within it it's it's amazing the- um, and Russ, and just if i just one thing on the on because we're talking about the the blue first away shirt yeah then it's quite an interesting story the first first time red was used as an away color was in 1947 when um actually it was an fa11 officially rather than an england team um just after the war obviously were due to play a match against switzerland b who played in white so they obviously had to come up with a, a kit and uh they wore these red red short sleeve shirts which apparently were borrowed from the raf right so you know the raf would have had a team so you know you could you know you can make a strong argument for the fact that england ended up with this kind of famous red as their famous away color because they borrowed the the, the kit that they happened to manage to borrow was red courtesy of the raf yeah oh, there you go i mean i was i was just going to go back to blue very um yeah. very quickly because there was a whilst this book has got it would appear almost every single shirt. It's not ex- exactly the case, but there's so many in there. I'm all right in saying possibly the one shirt that sort of is yet to be unearthed or uh, is evaded the collector so far is from the, the World Cup of 1950, England's first ever World Cup, where famously we, we lost to the USA um, and we were wearing blue that day, but a shirt from that game has has never come to light yeah i mean darren and neville will tell you that that is the sort of holy grail of england shirts they would love to to find one of those albeit uh one with uh bad memories yeah. um yeah it was a blue short-sleeved shirt with a red number apparently um yeah worn in this famous defeat to the usa which may well have prompted red becoming the main choice of color some people believe that you know it was such a terrible defeat and blue became sort of forever tainted with that match so then when they needed to change uh colors in 1951 um when they played argentina they wore red it may well be because of that ah, that's that's almost similar to the story i believe with brazil when they i think they lost the was it it may have been the 1950 world cup a yes. final against uruguay where i believe they wore white and then the they decided we can't wear white again because we've lost to uruguay in the final i think yeah, off the top no, of my head I think, that's, I think that's right i've heard that story before yeah absolutely so, so brazil you know you associate brazil with that yellow shirts with the green collars and as you say that wasn't their original kit yeah I'll tell you what, we've segued nicely on there to to yellow shirts. Many yeah. people uh, may not be aware that England have worn, on, on a very odd occasion, yellow as their outfield shirt. I know that obviously goalkeepers have often wore, worn yellow, but I think during the, the 1970, was it 1970 World Cup, I think they wore... Uh- yellow it was um it was after the 1970 world cup so it was in 1973 they wore yellow three times the only three times that the senior team has worn yellow and this was because of sir alf ramsey's obsession with he thought that red was too dark a color to wear in hot weather okay so for the 1970 World Cup. So obviously England won the World Cup in 66 in red. 1970 World Cup played in Mexico, high altitude, really high temperatures. So he decided they couldn't have a red away kit for that World Cup. They would have light blue and all they so they had an all light blue kit for that World Cup. 
They played, I think it was their second game, they played Czechoslovakia yes. in this blue kit. It was really bright sunshine, and it was felt that in this bright sunshine, you and uh, Czechoslovakia played in all white, that you couldn't, there wasn't enough difference both for TV viewers and people in the stadium. Right. You know, the kits were too close, and, and Ramsey said, oh, I've made a, you know, made a mistake got um, umbro to um hastily make a set of red shirts for the quarterfinal against west germany and um you know so red was worn in in that infamous match mm. and then in 17 in preparing for the 74 world cup which of course we didn't qualify for in the end but he thought well blue doesn't work um in his preparations for that tournament he thought well let's try yellow so in the Spring of 1973, they played three matches, um, including crucial World Cup qualifier away to Poland, which they lost 2-0 um, in yeah yellow shirts, blue shorts and yellow socks. And if you look at the video of that Poland match, which is a famous defeat, it, it is really odd. You know, you, it, you don't associate yellow with England at all. No. And uh, I wonder in like the way sort of shirts are now and manufacturers sort of going back a few years and sort of, I don't know, revisiting different designs and that sort of thing. I I wonder whether one day England will see a, another yellow shirt or, or is that not likely to happen? Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, Nike have a hard job coming up with, with new, you know, yeah, I think they have a sort of unspoken rule that when it comes to round to World Cup kits, the away kit will always be red. Right. But in the intervening period, it's invariably going to be another colour. We've had different shades of blue so far. Will they dare try yellow? I don't know. I don't know how well it would go down. Yeah, I'd, well, I'm sceptical, me, personally. Yeah. But never say never. Well, never we, say never. Yeah, we, we can't not skip past 1966 um obviously the the height of england's fame there's shirts from um in the collection here in the book from the game against argentina there's one from obviously the final against west germany oh these these really are pieces of history aren't they yeah they really are i mean they're they are when again when we're photographing them and you you're present you know you're handed a, a shirt that's been worn in in english football his you know english sporting history's finest moment you know you really are touching history and there's there's great stories about what happened to all those shirts because at, you know at the time you know people didn't the players certainly didn't really consider you know what historic artifacts they would become mm, yeah um, loads of the players swapped with germans and never saw their shirts again or several of the players bobby charlton for instance um swapped with uve sila and he i think in 2006 when he was working um with the fa on the on our world cup bid he contacted sila and said look you know i'd really like to get my shirt back and uh, Sila said, oh, I had a bit of a clear out and I think it's got chucked out. Oh. Um, Martin Peters said swapping his shirt was the biggest regret of his life. Um, so, yeah, it's rich stories. But the best story of all, I think, is um, Alan Ball and Nobby Styles, who shared um, they were roommates during the World Cup. They had a sort of personal pact that if they got to the final, they would swap shirts with each other. Whatever oh, okay. So after the match, they swap shirts and um, Alan Ball goes home to his mum and dad in Blackpool, hands his dirty kit to his mum to wash. She washes it, put it puts it up in the, lo in the loft. And then uh, in 1970, when um, her son, their son was going off to play in Mexico, they got it out of the loft and did a deal with a local TV rental shop to lend them Nobby Styles' shirt to have in the window in return for a colour TV to watch the uh, 70 World Cup on. So <laughs> crazy stuff, really. Oh, that's amazing. And and the fact that Jeff Hurst's shirt is is still in one piece 
and and yeah. with us is is great. Is that is that still Jeff Hurst's shirt, or is that in different hands now? Or? No, it um so Jeff sold it at auction um several years ago so it's in in the hands of a private collector but it's on display at the national football museum so a lot of the a lot of the shirts in the book and um you know are um owned by collectors but on loan at the national football museum so they're they're quite aware of the collectors are quite aware of their i think they're generally their responsibility to you know, to to share this history, which is another reason for the book. You know, they've got a lot of Neville and Darren particularly have got, you know, these historic items which aren't seen on public view, all of them. So this was a way, the book is a way of sharing them with, with England fans everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's another reason to uh, to get this book and, and take a look through it. So, yeah, 1966, of course, England's finest hour for the men there but also within the book and rightly so are the women and who of course celebrated their finest hour um with the euros this year how hard was it to so to come across some of the women's shirts um the early shirts very tricky and um and we couldn't get hold we couldn't um we couldn't find everything um i mean i think Funny enough, you know, as, as soon as we conceived this book, um, we felt that straight away it was it was appropriate um, to include the women's team in the history. Um, it's three lines on a shirt since um, in the ni- mid nineteen nineties. Um, the lionesses or the women's team have been um, under the umbrella of the FA, so they've worn the same three lions crest as the men so what we decided to do was was to tell the story of of the women's team's shirts separately but then to incorporate once um i think it was 2018 when uh the lionesses had their own bespoke design for the for the world cup oh yes then decided because that was a a unique shirt to that that team we would then include that in the in the main timeline of england football jerseys so we we started to put together this this sort of feature looking at the history and it's it's a uh, you know the the history of the england women's shirt sort of tells the history of the england's women's team you know when they when they were 1972 the the ban on them playing was lifted by the fa so the first England Women's International was in 1972, um, but the FA allowed allowed the, the women to play, but they didn't really have any involvement. There was a women's a separate women's FA who had their own version of the Three Lions Crest. The no kit was provided for them. Um, they had to literally go out and beg, borrow and steal kit. So... You've got. Um, we tracked down as as many of the early players we could to try and find out what they were wearing. Um, you know, they they started with uh, very plain sort of seventies shirts, very sim- similar to the men's. Um, they were wearing sort of hockey shirts in the late seventies. They played a tournament in Japan and there are some uh, England shirts made by ASICs, which were given to them by the tournament organisers. There's um, a company called Spal, who some some um, listeners will remember from the sort of late 80s. Um, they provided the kit for a number of years based on the fact that someone at the WFA used to work for Blackburn and Spal provided oh. their kit as well and they they asked for a favor then there's a famous well maybe not that famous but there's an amazing ribero kit that was worn in the early 90s which is a sort of white shirt with this kind of crazy um blue pattern down the side and the shorts um repeat the pattern that's almost that's- one that wouldn't go wouldn't go amiss at like wimbledon the tennis tournament that one yeah exactly yeah very much so it, it doesn't really look like a football shirt and the shorts are, are wild <laughs> um so yeah and then so we you know we've tracked down quite a few of those shirts and photographed them 
there'll be England shirts that that people have never seen before. Um, and then when the FA said, right, we'll we'll take over, the women were for the first sort of ten years or so they were they were given sort of the same shirts as the men. So a lot often these were completely you know there's no sort of women's cut. They were absolutely massive on some of the players. You see these these photos of the sort of women with the shirts sort of tucked in and uh, you know holding out their arms and they've got these huge sort of flaps of material under their arms. <laughs> yeah. Um so it wasn't until I think it was two thousand and around two thousand and four that Umbro um produced the first um version of the the men's shirt in a sort of women's cut. And then it sort of evolved from there until finally Nike decided that, and rightly in my opinion, that uh the 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 women's team deserved their own sort of what identity within the overall framework of the of the three lions and that's yeah. what's that's what's happened yeah no it's it's a, it's a great feature on it and it's i've read it in the book and obviously we've we've spoken about that very first england shirt um worn by arnold kirky smith back in 1872 mm. and then a hundred years later just by pure coincidence that the women then played their first game and and yeah. there isn't a uh, a shirt from that game it's it's so unfortunate no, um, yeah, like that. You know, those shirts would would have been sort of worn many, many times. Um, you know, the the women weren't given those shirts. The 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 WFA, you know, had no budget or finances to speak of. So they, I think, they were given a set of shirts um, for that first game, but they would have been used over and over again. And unfortunately, none none have survived. Yeah. Well. All these shirts are, of course, worn by all the these famous players that we we see on the telly or we see inside the stadiums, and we all idolise as as young children and, and grow up remembering these shirts that they all wore. But at the same time, there's there's someone who has to look after these shirts before the players put them on and basically put them on the pegs and and all that sort of thing. Um, and there's a a great great part of the of the book where you speak with um the the various kit men over the years uh yeah i mean we 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 really the features really based on the on the current kit men so pat frost and neil jones um the fa um this is an official fa book so they were great in giving us access to those two guys so they were um they are sort of joint kit men of the current senior team men's team um, they were brought in by Gareth Southgate when he came in, and you know it's evident from meeting him, meeting um, those two that they're 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 not just kitmen. You know they're they're part of the the team bonding, the team spirit. They're you know they're joking. They're just really sort of um, fun, happy, cheerful guys. Um, so yeah, they run this. You know what is now a massive operation if you think um how many shirts um are required for a world cup and the sleeve patches um the as you've mentioned already the the match detail for each game is printed underneath the three lions crest even now that um the fa introduced um legacy numbers oh, yeah. each player has their legacy number printed on the on the inside of the neck of the shirt as well, um, which is incidentally how you can tell it's an authentic um, player shirt. No, of course. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's huge operation. I think they told me that they'll be taking five tons of kit to Ooh. Qatar, and what they do is when a when a new player arrives, um, a new player is selected to the squad. The first thing they do is they sort of take down all their measurements. So they've got this big spreadsheet of what size every player is in shirts, shorts, socks, track suits, everything. Yeah, they they before before the World Cup they would have had all the um shirts printed up for the first three games when it was known that we were playing in white. And then they'd have printed up enough shirts with squad names and numbers uh for all eventualities in hopefully all the way to the final. Yeah. And um 
Yeah, I mean, the, the but the attention to detail is incredible. So the, underneath the three lions crest, you have they have uh, the name of the opponent and the date of the match, and they told me that they had worked out every possible opponent that England would could play in the World Cup and every possible date that they could have played them on, and they had those those match details already made. So they only had to select the correct one and heat press it onto the shirts, depending on, you know, who we face and how far we wow. go. Wow. Really? They said that no other country, they don't believe any other country goes to that level of organization. Wow. It's it's great to great to hear that little insight of, of how yeah. those guys work. I mean, I'm hoping, of course, so um we've only played in white so far. So um but I think the red kit um looks stunning so uh i'm hoping we get to wear it perhaps in the final against brazil that's be uh that would be the kit aficionado's dream final i think yeah wouldn't it just well actually you mentioned brazil and there was one um i, I realized we're going on a bit here um but there's one little story that i really like and i'll ask you maybe what your best story is from the book but England versus Brazil in 1970. There's a famous picture of Pelé and Bobby Moore embracing after the game because they had a right ding-dong in that game and they both swapped shirts. And Bobby Moore's shirt has got a little bit of a story behind it. Yeah, so there's a famous photograph of them embracing and they've both got each other's shirts in their their hands. And Pelé... Then after the World Cup, gave Bobby Moore's shirt to a friend of his who ran a bar um, in Rio de Janeiro, where it was sort of mounted on the wall, folded and mounted on the wall for years and years, accumulating um, nicotine stains um, until it was rescued. I think in, a, in around early 2000s, it was rescued. It was, someone discovered it and it, and it made its way to a collector. Um, and yeah, so it's um, it's photographed in the book, and it's this um, air text material that An- Alf Ramsey uh, experimented with, and, and they wore in 1970. So really lightweight, with all these little holes for ventilation. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 a white shirt, but it's got these kind of um, brown nicotine stains yeah. in a sort of square where you can see where the where the shirt would have been framed. Yeah, no, it's it's so simple. Yet the the story and the history behind it is is great. I'm, I'm doing this project. So there must be a a favourite of yours, is there? Uh, favourite favourite shirt. Well, I, I mean, I think the 1935 um, Stanley Matthews shirt that we've we've talked about is oh, yeah. a favourite. I mean, for me, if I was to choose my favourite England shirt of all time, which sort of tells you a little bit about my age, would be the um the world in motion blue 1990 wake it which um was um worn obviously in the in the world in motion video yes um and you know you see it everywhere on the terraces now so i'm obviously not alone but yeah that's that's just i mean that was such a sort of that was the first time england had a really sort of daring design you know if everything had been plain colors up until then um, and it was, you know, on the back of the sort of acid house craze. And um, it was actually the away kit, um, the designated away kit for the 1990 World Cup, but was never worn. England wore white in all seven matches in 1990. Um, and that style was only ever worn once, um, a couple of, a year later, I think. But it's become, yeah, cult classic. And I, I love the story about, and this is one of Shakey's, amazing bits of information so if you if you sort of visualize the shirt it's got a sort of pattern of diamonds within the material and apparently that um, design was created by someone shining a torch through a cut glass ashtray and sort of projecting (laughs) projecting that image on the wall um, or on a white piece of paper and that's where the that famous pattern comes from well i never (laughs) that that's the uh, the sort of insight into this book that it that it holds um and I, I can't recommend this book highly enough once again do you want to give a a plug to where you can 
sort of purchase this book? Sure, absolutely, Russell. Thanks. So, so if um, there is a, a website called uh, Three Lines on a Shirt where you can buy the regular edition. There's also um, a manager's edition, which uh, we had 250 copies. I think there's a few left signed by Gareth Southgate, and they come in. That comes in a its own sort of leather box. And there's also a collector's edition, um, which comes with a, a sort of art print of nine um classic england england shirts um it is available um the standard edition is available through you know all other general bookshops um so yeah thank you very much for your kind words um it was a a real labor of love uh we're really proud of this book and um i think it's one for uh for england fans everywhere absolutely it's it's one that should go under lots of people's christmas tree I think hopefully we'll have a new edition with um, a famous shirt from uh, the next couple of weeks in it soon. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, Jim, thank you very much for your time. And and please pass on our regards to, to Simon, Darren and, and Neville, too. Um, I mean, without them, this this book just wouldn't be there. So for for keeping all these memories alive, I will do. My many thanks go to Jim Druitt there from Vision Sports Publishing. The book is called Three Lions on a Shirt. Go search it out. The detail, amazing. The only thing I'd have loved to maybe have seen accompany it would be a YouTube film of sorts. Perhaps documenting them speaking with some of the players about the shirts showing some of the stories about how they came about them in film like way showing them photographing them those sort of things anyway well done to all concerned with it as always thank you very much for tuning in i hope you've enjoyed it Uh, it's always appreciated if you're new to the show welcome along Uh, i've got plenty more episodes in the planning stages for the future so hopefully you'll be able to join me for those stay subscribed tell your friends and if you have missed some of them all previous episodes can be found at your podcast provider of choice or indeed threelionspodcast.com and don't forget the show it can be found on the likes of twitter facebook and instagram just search three lions podcast take care yourselves And we'll speak again soon. Cheers.